Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Um, hello, onlineers. Welcome. Oh, hello, Lola. Lola, it's Nan. <laughs> I took her for a walk the other day for an hour walk. And I gave her all the toys to play with. She wasn't interested in them. I gave her the eucalyptus leaves and she played with them for about three quarters of an hour. Hello, onlineers. Great to see you. Why don't you put in the chat what you're wearing on your feet or what hot drink you're drinking. Um, All right, who remembers letters? When was the last letter you wrote? Remember letters before email and YouTube and iPhone? In those days, that was how we broke up with our boyfriends. <laughs> Dear Michael, you're dropped. Um, that wasn't me. <laughs> Today we are continuing our Romans Road theme, which was a letter that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And we will see that it's divided into chapters and verses, but of course to them, it was just one long letter. And remember the Romans church, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have podcasts. They didn't have a Bible app. They had no YouTube explaining Romans in 10 minutes. The letter, actually, this letter was probably the first piece of Christian literature they had ever received. Today we're going to look at chapter 1 and 2. I'm going to give you a brief overview. I'm going to pick out a couple of verses. In these two chapters, Paul introduces himself. Remember, he had never met the Romans before, so he introduces himself. He's going to present the gospel, and then he's going to talk about the lostness of humanity, the mess we're in, and why God needs to intervene. How are you at introductions? The other week, Mark and I went to Italian cooking class out at um, Hunter Valley. All was going well until they said, we want you to introduce yourself and what you do. And when you're a pastor and you introduce yourself, that can sometimes go well, sometimes not. So I said, I'm Roz and I'm a pastor of a church and it goes silent. And in my head, I'm, I, th- I think they're thinking, ah, oh, now we can't swear in the class. But anyway, here is Paul's intro, Romans 1.1, Paul. A servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. What a brilliant intro. He knows who he is, whom he belongs, and what he's called to do. Paul would go on to write 13 epistles, actually half of the New Testament. He was the main player on the stage after Christ. He had years of memorising the Old Testament. He was an expert in Judaism since he was 13 years old. He'd been tutored. You wouldn't want to take him on in Bible trivia. He also spoke at least four languages. He became a missionary, a theologian, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, a leader, a thinker, an organizer, an apostle, and finally a martyr. Paul calls himself a servant, doulos, literally a slave. So straight away he's saying, This is who I belong to. I love this. It's like his number one title. He's got lots of letters after after his name, but his number one title is servant. Then he tells them about his fivefold gifting. He says, actually, I'm an apostle. And uh, that's an interesting thing to do. You know, with an apostle, you can't apply for an apostle. Apostle isn't a job. You can't apply for 
an, an apostle job. You can't go do a cert for in apostleship. An apostle is selected by God. It means sent one. So an apostle doesn't say, oh, this is where I'm going to live. You know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to live at Coffs Harbour. But an ap apostle can't say, this is where I'm going to live because he's actually sent. He's sent to a circum he or she sent to a, a place, a circumstance, a, a nation, usually sent by an another apostle. An apostle has the gift of organising the church. They are builders. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, I laid a foundation as a wise wise builder and they suffer philippians 3:10 paul says that i may know the power of his resur resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings so you, that explains why you walk into a year two class and you say kids what do you want to be and not many of them are going to say i want to be an apostle <laughs> lastly paul says he's set apart to spread the gospel so this is what paul will give his life for it's what he will rejoice in and eventually it's what he will give his life and die for and in I love it because it's what he, he would never he won't get distracted lots of people get distracted in their call but in Acts 20 Paul says this I have finished my race I have finished being a testimony to Jesus Christ and I finish my race with joy and I love that scripture and it's a challenge to all of us to make sure we finish our race not cynical but with joy, finish what he called us to do. Paul reminds us here that the gospel is not his. It is God's gospel. It didn't originate with Paul. It originated with God. And we're not at liberty to reshape it or domesticate it or to politically correcticize it so it's more appealing. So let's go to verse 8 now. Paul's talking about the church. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. How amazing that is that? Um, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. It's very interesting. He's saying we're going to be mutually encouraged by what? By each other's faith. And I was thinking if we invited the Apostle Paul to our church, I'd say, hey, Robbie, break out those donuts again. But we would think, we would all come because we would think the Apostle Paul's really going to encourage us. But what's he saying here? That actually he was going to be encouraged by them. And that's what church is about. Church is about being encouraged by what? By one another's faith. You know, when I got up here this morning, I noticed someone in the front row, arms out, leaning into God. It was Sal Todd. And do you know what that did? That encouraged me. <laughs> faith, watching each other's faith, encourages one another. And you know, I remember when I was a young Christian, Mark and I going to this famous evangelist place. It was his 40th. And we were asking him how he is. And he said, do you know what? He said, I don't need to be in Australia anymore. He said, I know everything and there's no one in this nation that can speak back into my life. And a few months after that, he had a moral fall. And I thought this, you never grow too spiritual or too holy or have too many numbers after your name to not need each other's encouragement. The great Apostle Paul needed encouragement. Romans 1.16 here Paul goes with his summary of the gospel. For I am not ashamed, translated offended, 
Paul says, I am not offended by the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness, listen to this, that is by faith. From first to last, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. So why is the gospel offensive? Let me tell you why the gospel is offensive. Um, because it tells us our salvation is free and human beings want to earn it. It tells us that we are spiritual failures. <laughs> we want to feel like good moral people and that humanity is innately good. It tells us that only those who come to God through Jesus Christ can receive salvation. We, we want there to be many ways to salvation. Finally, it tells us that Christ achieved salvation by suffering and uh, and by serving. And we don't want a God like that. We want a God that's like a little bit of a Top Gun maverick type. Uh, we don't want to follow a God, a God that suffered and that serves. Paul, though, is not ashamed of this offensive gospel because he says it is the power of God. It's not a philosophy. It's not a, um, a degree. It's not a concept. It doesn't bring power or have the power. It is the power of God. The verbal communication of the gospel is the power of God. I first heard the gospel when I was 16. I was deeply offended. Afterwards, someone, some of the youth said to me, what do you think? I said, I hate that preacher. That were my words. I said, I hate that preacher. I was so offended. Four years later, when I was 20, my brother, I was still on a search. My brother invited me to a youth camp. I told Mark we were going out. Mark didn't want any other guys to crack onto me because I didn't look like this. I looked, at, I looked at, like a 20-year-old. <laughs> so he came along. And uh, I'll never forget it. Saturday morning, a truckie shared the gospel. He shared from scriptures in Romans. And uh, something was beginning to happen in me. I was reflecting on the gospel. That afternoon, we were walking up a dirt track. And Mark said to me, Roz, do you believe you're going to heaven? He was trying to provoke me. He knew that my life was a mess and that I wouldn't say yes. But this is what happened. My faith connected with the gospel I had heard. And I said to him these words, I am going to heaven. And at that moment, I was completely saved. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I had salvation. I was transformed. And I knew Christ. How do I explain that? I did, there was no Hillsong music. Hillsong wasn't even around there. I didn't say the sinner's prayer. There was no other witnesses. My faith connected to the gospel. The interesting thing is the next day, Mark, sitting by the lake by himself on his own, the same thing happened, um, completely, utterly transformed. And many of us in this room know the power of the gospel. Um, Paul goes on to explain the only way to receive the gospel, it is the power through faith. So my, I am going to heaven, was my faith. And uh, that moment is the, I know I love having kids and grandkids and getting married, but that moment is still the greatest moment of my life. Verse 17 says, a righteousness from God is revealed. What does that mean? Well, the English word for righteousness is to be made right, to be made right with one another, with a company, with a government. Um, it's a positional word. 
It means to have a good standing, to have no debts, that you don't owe the other person or organisation. You are acceptable to the other party. So how do you get right with God? How do we get right with God? Many people think that when Jesus died, he died to forgive us. And that is true. But that is only half of what he did. Not only did he die to forgive us, but he actually died to wipe our slate clean and to, to give us his righteousness. Um, um, so he wipes our slate clean. If, if, if all he did was forgive us and wipe our slate clean, then we would have to be on a treadmill of making sure we kept that slate clean. So if you swore at your neighbour, you think, oh, now I've got a dirty mark against my name, so now I have to make up for it, so I've got to take my neighbour's bin out. And we, we would be on a treadmill trying to keep ourselves right. So I've got to want that piece of paper to go up there. I just wanted to put that up there. Yes. So we are righteous in Christ. That is a free gift of God. We access it by faith. How, do you, how are you given the righteousness of Christ? You receive it, Paul says, by faith. But many of us go back into the law. In fact, most people, most people out there live by law. They're trying to earn their salvation, trying to earn right standing with God. Let me tell you this. You will never earn right standing with God. The only way you can earn right standing with God in the court of God's law is to be perfect. And if I said, stand up in, if, you're, if you're perfect, I would have to go like this. And the incredible thing is, God doesn't give us Donna's righteousness or Joe Currington's righteousness or Mother Teresa's righteousness. Even that is not good enough. He gives us. He gives you his son's righteousness so you can declare grace. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when you pray, guess what you need to declare? You can't go into the presence of God with your own, I did this, I didn't do this. You can walk in boldly because you are declared and justified as though actually it says you've never sinned. It wasn't my idea. It was his idea. That is one of the greatest doctrines. Oh, am I too loud? Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, the last part of chapter one, Paul goes um, into a bit of darkness and he presents a sad picture of humanity. He actually talks about the wrath of God. You know, I find it hard when in the scripture it talks about the wrath of God. But let me ask you this. Do you get angry? Where do you get that sense of anger from? Well, you get it because you're made in the image of God. God made us in his image and he made us to get angry. The issue with humans' anger is that we hurt one another. But God's anger is perfect. So when it says that God has wrath or his anger, don't judge him. <laughs> Romans 1.18 says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppresses the truth by their wickedness. Since what, be, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to us. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that people, people everywhere have an excuse. No. God says people are without excuse. So what, God, what makes God angry? Not a parking ticket? Or when your husband decides to go for a 10-minute sleep in the middle of the Italian class because he needs a break from all the people. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> two things tick God off. Only two. That's pretty good. Godlessness. Godlessness is a disregard for God. A dismissiveness of our relationship with him. God, I don't need you. Even though God has put us in his beautiful creation. The second thing that ticks him off is our relationship with one another. It's called wickedness. A disregard for other human beings. We don't love one another. We don't speak the truth. And uh, we don't bring justice. It's the breaking of what Jesus said were the two greatest commandments. To love God and to love our neighbour. That's what ticks him off. In verse 25 it says, what do we do? It says, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. So what did we do when we turn our back on God? Because we're created in God's image, we don't stop worshipping. We just don't worship him. We actually worship the created thing, what he has created. Um, every human being on the planet worship, worships and serves something. What is that thing that we have our de deepest hopes in, which we look to calm our deepest fear, the thing that becomes our bottom line, the thing we cannot live without? God created the world very good. All things were created for good. The problem comes when we start worshipping them because they never satisfy. They never satisfy and they keep us on a treadmill of never enough. In verse 26, we discover how God's anger is real. It's very interesting. This scripture doesn't say that God's anger will be revealed. It says actually God's anger, God's wrath is right now being revealed. Well, how is that? Well, this scripture says that God just answers our prayers. God just gives us more of what we want. God allows us to walk through the door we have chosen. He gives us over to the pursuit of the things that we have put in the place of him. It's like my mum. My mum told me when she was a kid, she'd always go to her mum and say, mum, can I have a boiled lolly? Mum, can I have a boiled lolly? Because my family was so strict on lollies. It's an issue for me. Um, and one day my mum came home, dinner was there, and everybody had a baked dinner except for my mum. She had a whole plate of boiled lollies. And Nan said, there's your boiled lollies. You wanted boiled lollies, so that's what you're having for dinner, boiled lollies. And mum said she looked out and everyone could see roast pumpkin, sweet potato, lamb, gravy, mm, mint sauce. Um, and in a way, that's what God does to us. He goes, you want sex? I'll give you sex. <laughs> so much that it destroys us. You want power? I'll give you power. So much that it destroys us. Oscar Wilde says this, when the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. And then we go into chapter 2. I'm going to be quick in chapter 2. 
Um, Paul finishes off chapter 1 with the list of sins. And he lands in chapter 2 and the Roman, the Roman church is listening to the first part of the letter and there you can imagine them all thinking, yeah, Paul, you need to really give it to those Gentiles. You need to really give it to those pagans. Lay the boot in because um, they sin a lot. They've really fallen short. But not us. Not us because we're Jews. We obey the law. We've been instructed in the law. But something happens in chapter 2. Paul addresses them. And uh, let's go to verse 17, 18 in chapter 2. Paul outlines five things that they are relying on for their salvation. In fact, let me tell you what chapter 2 is about. Chapter 2, Paul says that self-righteousness is just as bad as immorality. He says relying on good works and our own righteousness is just as much an idol as all the other things that we see other people uh, doing wrong, sinning, which is a real challenge. <laughs> so here we go. Five things that they are relying on, that we could be relying on. First one, he says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, so he says, if you're relying on your nationality, the nation you've been born into, the religion, the family you've been born into, he said, don't rely on that. For, that won't save you. If you rely on the law, your own good works, if you're boasting in God, if you brag about your own relationship with God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law. In other words, he said, if you've been to Bible college, and you're expecting that that will save you. And you think, well, I know what's best. I know what's superior. He said, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolishness, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach himself? On, these, on their own, Paul is saying, these things are okay. He said the problem comes when we make moral things into a system of salvation. This is good news for us. You're all looking very serious. <laughs> but guess what this does? It puts us on an even playing field. We get rid of self-righteousness. We get rid of, get rid of judging one another. Moralism is extremely common. It is the biggest religion in the world today. Carol knows. Carol and I have had these talks before. We see it on social media. We read it in the papers. We hear it in the speeches at the Oscars. We hear it at our universities with our politicians and at church. You can hear the sound. It sounds smug. It has superiority, superiority and judgment attached to it. It is the religion of people who compare themselves with others, who think they are better or a lot more decent than other people. And Jesus, let me tell you this, Jesus hated it. He hated it. Remember the two guys that went out to pray? And one of them said, thank you, God, I'm not like the others. And the other guy knelt down and humbly and said, Father, forgive me. He said, which one will be justified? 
You remember the, at Simon's house, the religious guy came in and then the woman who was in adultery, who'd been a prostitute, came and washed Jesus' feet with her hair. And Simon judged her and said, do you know who's washed your feet? And Jesus said, you didn't even, you didn't even welcome me in. You were cold. What she's done, he who has sinned much, forgiven much, loves much. Tim Keller says this, um, there is not much difference between the words morality and moralism, but there is an eternal word of difference between making a good thing, morality, into your God, moralism. Let's never make our own morality the source of our righteousness. If we do that, what don't we need? You don't need Christ's righteousness. <laughs> if we're righteous, I've done this, I've done this, I've done that. I know this, I know that. We don't need his righteousness. All right. I need to finish off. Very interesting uh, in the second chapter of Romans, it does talk about a lot of people ask that question, what about people who've never heard the gospel? And Paul goes on to say, they will know and be judged by the conscience of their heart, by the, by the inner law of their heart. So you don't have to worry about that. God's got that. All right. I want to finish, you know... Um, I've got an old piece of paper that I keep in a green folder. It's in my prayer folder. And on this piece of paper is who I am in Christ. Because the enemy doesn't go after your future. He goes after your identity. Because if the enemy gets your identity, he gets your future. And I don't know about you, but I have had so much struggle with my identity. So I've written out many years ago all the things I am in Christ. And that is going to be the beauty of Romans. You are going to find who you are in Christ. And you need to know who you are in Christ. And I know it's been hard news today finding out who we are without him. But that is wonderful news. Because let me tell you who you are in him. You are redeemed. You are brought back into the family. You are sanctified. The Bible says you're being sanctified. The Bible says you are no longer under, under the curse. You're under the blessing of Abraham. The Bible says that you are declared righteous. The Bible actually says you're already glorified. The Bible also says that you're seated at the right hand of Christ. You've been resurrected. With Christ, you don't need to have an identity crisis. I want you to close your eyes. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your plan of salvation. How could we ever dreamt it up? We could do nothing. Jesus, you came. And on that cross, on that cross, church, Every single sin, I don't care what you've done. 
He took it all and He completely forgave you. Past, present, future, because it's not a half-back salvation, it's a full one. And then He put into your bank account, righteous. I declare them right standing in the court of law. And it's all by faith. Paul says it's by faith. I want you to see yourself like that. I want you to scrub out any other image. I want you to get rid of all your notches of good works. You'll be rewarded on those, but they won't be your source of righteousness. I want you to stop judging. Father, forgive us for judging one another. Thank you, Jesus, that in my bank account is the righteousness, perfection, justified, call righteous. And while every eye is closed, I want to give anyone here an opportunity to receive that gift, the work of Christ into their lives. How do you do it? You just do it by faith. And I'm going to ask for an act of faith this morning, just putting your hand up saying, Ros, that's me. I want to receive salvation. I can't make it happen by myself. So if that's you, I just want you to put your hand up. Look up, say, Ros, that's me. This morning, I want to pray and receive that gift. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.